Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome back to the Soundstage Insider podcast. My name's Jamie. Today we are talking to James Philpot. He is a production designer and he worked on the show Death and Other Details, which is a Hulu production. And the first episode comes out today, January 16th, if you're listening to this on the day of release. And there will be episodes weekly, I believe, for the next 10 weeks. So today's podcast, we are talking about the whole production design process. James's experience in the industry and, of course, on Death and Other Details. It's a visually stimulating show, so, of course, production design is a key part of presenting that world. So it's a really great discussion. I really enjoy talking to James. And, yeah, that's pretty much it. I hope you enjoy this interview. And, uh, yeah, here it is. Well, James, thanks so much for joining me today. I've watched bunch of this show already and i'm super excited to talk to you i will get to death and other details but uh, we want to dive into your earlier career to get up to that point but firstly thanks thanks so much for joining us very good it's wonderful to be here before we get to the show i'd like to talk about your early career so how did you get into production design right at the beginning of your journey um, well, it actually was a bit of a, a circuitous and sort of a bit of serendipity in terms of getting here. Um, I didn't necessarily imagine that I would be a production designer in my early life. Um, it was something I wasn't even aware of. So I basically um, came through university where I start, studied art and art history. Then at that point, I wasn't really sure what direction to go. I did a bit of fashion design and I kind of became apparent that the design field was sort of where I wanted to go eventually. It wasn't something that I knew a lot about because um, my background, my father is a professor and my grandfathers were journalists and politicians. So it did, wasn't something that was kind of immediately apparent. Um, so then what I did was I went into architecture and studied architecture. And then after that, um, I ended up sort of falling into um, an art department for a television show. And then it sort of became my career in it in a way. And then that was the ability that I was able to see what production was. And I kind of worked my way through the industry. Um, and um, I was supported by a number of people. I was able to develop some mentorships with different designers. And then eventually I was able to get my own shows um, through the support of my mentors and producers and whatnot. So that's sort of kind of my journey. Just to sort of drill down onto what the role actually is, obviously production design suggests you're sitting in a room and drawing stuff. Is there, there's a construction element too, right? There's actually hands-on creating things. So where did those skills come from? And Well, I mean, when I first went into the art department because of my architecture background, I started as a set designer. So that was sort of essentially where I kind of learned not only through the drawings that I was doing, but I also conversations with construction people and whatnot to how sets were built, how different construction people built sets in different ways. And I sort of started understanding that aspect of it. 
But I would say that that was only a small um, understanding of what ultimately the role the production designer was, because obviously that is a piece of a sort of a much bigger puzzle. So that's where that sort of came from. Let's talk about maybe your early, one of the earlier TV shows that you were on. What what was that like? Was it intimidating to go into that environment at the sort of early stages or were you so experienced by that point you were comfortable? <laughs> I personally feel that one has to have a little bit of sort of intimidation no matter what you do, because I feel, hmm. especially in sort of creative fields, I mean, that's sort of what is the fire that drives you to achieve and to to excel. But I do also feel I had a fair amount of experience. And because I had several, several years under my belt in sort of different positions as set designer, as art director, I learned a lot about the actual industry and how to design for film and television, which is actually quite different than designing for real world. Mm -hmm. And I think that was an important thing that I learned in that time period, um, which I still, still think of and I often will mention and people that work with me, we discuss that issue as well. And what about working in a team? I presume when you're a designer, you're kind of on your own a fair amount. And then in film and TV, it's very collaborative, right? So what exactly. was that transition like? Or what? what is, are you sort of split brained? Sometimes you're one thing and then how does it work? Um, I mean, I think that there's sort of a bit of a, a split brain to a certain degree. I mean, I think that there is a moment where um, I and designers have to have sort of some sort of our by ourself time where we will conceptualize and think of specific projects. But any project that we do is a product of collaboration. So, I mean, initially we have to, um, obviously you get the, the specific project, the details of the project you talk about with your, you know, the showrunners, the directors, and sort of develop a vision of what it is that the sort of everyone is working towards. Then you, then we might go away into your sort of, um, sort of personal time and um, think about it in a private way to develop some ideas, some sketches, some various things. And then you come back and then you would then work collaboratively with all the other departments, with um, with the DOPs, because obviously they, they have a very big part of the vision of the show. And then also working with the various departments. I mean, as we talked a little bit about construction, which is sort of one aspect of it, as a designer, I won't necessarily do the construction drawings, but I have to be very clear and give direction to um, our set designers. And one of the things that I also feel as the designer is that our role is to create inspiration for all the other departments that work with us to to do that. And part of it is to give a clear vision to to set the set decorator to the props masters, very like specific information to the various people with in doing set design, doing graphic design, obviously with collaboration with art directors. And then there's also the branch departments that we work with often is some special effects and visual effects and even stunts so that we can maintain, you know, a very consistent look through the whole production. Yeah, that's fascinating. I was speaking to a costume designer recently and we were talking about how early in the process she was involved. Presumably it's the same for you, right? You're pretty early in the in the process and all the way through to you know conclusion of filming exactly i mean i think the production designer is one of the earliest positions that comes on board and i mean in some ways with the, 
this particular project depth and other details, I think I was one of the first people that came on board with the project before the um, even production wasn't even set up, uh, before the costume designers, even the DOPs weren't part of the process at that point. Um, so you're already starting to work with your directors and your showrunners, even before a lot of other people, so that a lot of the vision can be already sort of started to develop and then you can, can loop in and sort of become informed by other departments and other people and other creative elements of the show. I love the fact that film and TV has uh, this sort of wonderful combination of art and technology. <laughs> and, yep. you know, that is obviously the case for you guys in production design. What are those conversations like early on? Because obviously if something's going to have a lot of CG, it's going to impact what you do versus if it's very practical. We talked about split brain before. Is, is there an element of that too with the sort of technical and the artistic? There is. I mean, I feel like for me, I mean, one of the things that's really important is always to maintain the artistic integrity of a show. And I feel one of the things with the production designer is there's only a handful of people that that artistic vision is sort of like the paramount thing. And a lot of um, the departments, the technical departments will have their technical um, quandaries and technical um, requirements. And I think it's my job to sort of fold them into the artistic vision of the show. And um, it would, and it is sort of a little bit of a negotiation, if you know what I mean, is that, you know, we will be like, this is what we want it to be. And this is the vision. And this is the world that we want to inhabit. And then there's things that other departments need just technically. And how do we achieve that through, you know, conversations, through actual constructed elements, all sorts of things like that. And so it is a bit of a split brain, but at the same time, I think it's really important for the designer to sort of always remember that, you know, the artistic part of the brain is still the one that has to be the leader. Yeah. So, so then moving it now on to death and other details, what yes. was that specifically with this show? What were the early stages like with you? I, I noticed on IMDb that you were involved from episode two onwards. Is that correct? Or how, how did that come about? Well, what it was is that I sort of came on as at the sort of the series designer. There was a pilot. And um, basically what um, I did was I studied the pilot quite significantly. But there was a significant number of changes and reshoots that were required from the pilot because there was, um, you know, some actor changes. There was some uh, shifting of story. Um, some sort of conclusions were different. So in a way, I developed a lot of, of the sets that ultimately became part of the first episode as well. But one of the things that was interesting was just to understand what was done in the initial pilot, but also because death and other details, there is sort of this period element to it with the ship, which is really sort of the biggest character from a visual point of view is the ship. And understanding the ship, understanding that the history of these types of ships. And I mean, there's a beautiful, rich history. I mean, we're talking about these beautiful Art Deco ships from the 1930s. And even though there was the good fortune in the um, the pilot to shoot in the Queen Mary's location, I was also able to study that ship. I was able to study beautiful ships like the, the ship, the Normandy, the Ile de France, and all these gorgeous ships that um, were floating around across the Atlantic, you know, in the early 1930s. And to sort of also understand the stylistic aspect of those ships. And 
at the same time is also understanding what are the requirements of the series? What are the sets that will be needed to be designed so that we can kind of pull them through the entire 10 episodes and figuring out against technical aspects of like where they're going to be and how they're going to be structured. And then also then trying to really create this beautiful world of the um, ship, which at the beginning, it's a lot of deep, like it's a lot of research more so than actually even design. And I mean, the research is actually quite exciting. I find that one of my favorite parts because you get to go into a world that, I mean, in this case was from the past, a very glamorous, sadly short-lived period. And it was, it was really fun. And also because it is sort of a detective show and it has a very um, rooted in sort of an idea of like Agatha Christie and that type of um, genre. I mean, there is sort of a beautiful era of that genre, which is the 1930s. And it's also to understand how that relates to the story and to, to the genre that we were working with. Yeah, it's a sort of pretty ingenious structure to have it set in a previous era, but it's modern day. So they've got iPhones, yep. but they're living in an art deco world. It's kind of, yes. <laughs> it's quite a genius construction there. What did uh, Mike Weiss and Heidi Cole, uh, the showrunners for this, what were their discussions like early on with you? Did they really lay it out? Were you given a lot of creative freedom? What was that? What was that like? I mean, I feel that we were, I was given a fair amount of creative freedom and I was able to sort of work within my um, research, but we did have a fair, uh, like a lot of discussions about our deco in general. I mean, Mike Weiss has a very specific idea of different time periods of art deco. He leans more to um, French art deco, which was like a slightly later, like early 1930s deco that both of them have a very sort of more of a streamlined aesthetic. So it was looking at also how to integrate that aesthetic and what are the elements of that aesthetic in terms of how they relate to these ocean liners. And I found that was also very interesting because when I started re researching these ocean liners, I realized that they are the kind of the beginnings of our modern architectural and interior design world. But at the same time, it was a kind of a transitional period where you would have elements like beautiful wood paneling that would sort of harken to maybe an earlier time, but you would have really beautiful graphic floors that, you know, could easily be a graphic floor in anywhere, like a hotel or a store now, and you would think it's like the most modern thing ever. Also, the beginnings of modern art, which we played with a lot in the show too, like sort of ideas of like 1930s cubism and things like that, which really sort of pushed that. But then bringing in elements of traditional lux luxury. And so we had a lot of conversations about that, as well as what specifically were the needs of the series, like in terms of, I mean, we had a beautiful big dining room and bar. We had um, a lot of suites and things, uh, hallways. Um, we had this beautiful, uh, my, one of my favorites, a beautiful office for the owner of the ship. And then we also then developed later as we went forward into the series, some of these sort of other elements of the ship, um, the below deck hallways, some of the security rooms, some of the cabins, and then started working into even um, the inner workings of the ship. And those were all things that kind of had to come into play, you know, after we kind of designed the beautiful part of the ship. So is it a benefit that this world is so contained and you have quite a lot of restrictions? I know that the show goes off ship um, yes. a number of times, but 90% of the show is on the ship. So you have these constraints, you have this rather limited world. Does that give you more freedom to play and to invest more in what you have 
because of those restrictions? Right. I mean, we obviously we did go to Malta in the show too. Yeah, yeah, of course. There. But having said that, what and what it did do was, um, it allowed the show to have a specific look and a specific style, and mm. also keep it and in sort of in control that in that way. And because it is sort of um, you're entering into kind of a rarefied world once you get on the ship. It was uh, allowed us to keep that in a specific way and presented in a specific way. And even other other sets that were on the ship that weren't maybe part of the rarefied world, but as I said, the sort of the under under parts of the ship, we were able to still control it so it still fell into the aesthetic of the overall of the ship, which I mean is this this glamorous world that really just sort of harkens to this sort of 1930s. And I mean, it's both where mind you, people like, you know, Coco Chanel and the Riviera and all sorts of like glamorous things. And the fact that the ship was sailing off the, um, the Amalfi coast and Malta. So it had that very glamorous thing. We were able to maintain that by having as a contained set built show. Yeah. I, I got a quote from, Mike and Heidi that said the scale of our sets built to match the scale of those massive ships was almost embarrassing, <laughs> which is quite a good description. <laughs> well, I mean, it was maybe it was embarrassing to a certain degree. I mean, I feel like when you actually research the ships, I mean, and I think when they made that quote, it was specifically about the dining room. Right. I mean, the dining room was a big set. It was two stories. It, like, it, you know, it sat like 50 to 75 people and that was not the bar that was just the dining room and then there was an adjacent bar with these you know high high ceilings and these beautiful three-dimensional murals and carvings whatnot but when you start looking at um the real ship like the real ship of the queen mary and i mean the one ship i sort of started really falling in love with a lot was the normandy um, which was a French ship from the early 1930s. I mean, they their dining room, oh my God, it was crazy. It was like 40 feet tall and it sat 3,000 people. And you're like, okay, our dining room is massive, but that dining room was like beyond massive. Right. So, I mean, I think it just made it really appropriate. And also even like the suites, I mean, the suites, we had multiple rooms and they were big rooms, but we're also talking about a ultra elite, like a 1% percenter type of environment. And it was really important that we projected that and that these people on this ship were the richest of the rich. And from a practical perspective, when filming, because it's such a contained show, you're going to use those sets multiple times. It isn't just one shot in a show, right? So exactly. you, know, you can, and, you can push both out. Well, exactly. And the thing is, is that those sets were used multiple, multiple times. And I mean, often we would even redress sets and things to sort of make them into other sets so that the ship looked even bigger. And I mean, that was the whole thing about doing the show was to make the scale of the ship and this vision of the ship and the luxury of the ship and that it was big. It was just a really gorgeous piece and a yeah. character show. Yeah, it really comes. It really comes across on screen. You know, it's 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 sumptuous to look at. <laughs> yes, and that's what we were going for. And my yeah. guess, we were going for sumptuous. Well, part of a part of a show where you invest so many hours versus a movie is that you want to kind of enter into that world over and over again. So, it, you know, it really, you know, it's really appealing. Let's talk about this show and your sort of day-to-day -day work on the show, because this is all about the behind-the-scenes people, and we all want to know the sort of, you know, what it, what it's like to uh, to work on these various shows. So for you, what was, a, what was a typical day on set, or is there such a thing as a typical day on set? Well, I mean, the thing is, is that um, I think in our business, there isn't really a typical day. But I mean, what 
like a general day would be is that I or one of my art directors, we would actually go to set. We would open the set. We would talk to our directors and the DOPs for the set of the day to make sure everything was there. I mean, all the details of the sets were everyone was happy with. I mean, obviously, with different episodes, we were returning sets, but there would be obviously changes and differences because of different scenes. So we would check on that. I would then probably spend, after that, spend some time with my set designers so that the sets that were coming up, we were all sort of drawing and we were all up to speed. And I was liking what how it was developing and then what input I needed to put in or changes. Again, we would start looking at graphics. I also oversaw computer playback. We would I would review with the computer playback. Often I would go to sets that were in process of construction. Uh, so they'd be visiting stage sets that were being built in conversation with the construction teams. Um, we had a really great paint department. I would um, be talking with our, our paint coordinator and she would have lots of interesting ideas and, and I would have ideas and we'd discuss that. Um, the other, I say, as a designer, one of the sort of the parts that are really important is dealing with our, our set decorator. It's a really tight um, relationship. And that is um, a lot of conversations would be had about what we wanted to do with different sets, like the emotions, the colors, the general vibe. So there would be daily, if not bi-daily conversations with, with my set decorator. I usually check in with props who works maybe slightly more independently. I would work with my art directors because we would have a lot of um, things that we would need to deal with with other departments in terms of special effects to make sure things were like on target with that. And then because we were off the ship a couple, several times, I would often do scouts to look for new locations for some of the off the ship sets. And then we, I have, I have a lot of meetings. That's the other thing you probably, <laughs> a lot of meetings because it is a collaborative thing. And in some ways I almost have to go to every single meeting because I need to be able to know what everybody is doing. And if there's something that I need to let them know or a direction that we need to work with. Or if I feel something isn't really quite jiving, I have to be there so we can make sure everything gets smoothed out and everything is working in unison. So it sounds like you put a lot of trust in your team members and, you know, you're very of course, collaborative. So are you in charge of choosing your team? How does, and, and if so, what is that process like for you? And does it depend I am, on the project? It does. It depends on the project, but I mean, I am in charge of um, choosing the people. I mean, I obviously, my art directors, uh, set decorator, the props master and the construction coordinator, people that I generally choose. And I'm looking for people who I feel have a sort of same idea and aesthetic and direction that I have. I mean, obviously, as we move along, we have people that we work with multiple times that we have real connections with. And I mean, I do feel that um, particularly with um, the set decorator, I mean, you almost create a, an emotional um, connection almost. I mean, it's almost a codependency yeah. to a certain degree. <laughs> um, and I think that sometimes it's great to have that because you can have sort of candid conversations and Maybe there's differences of opinions and things so that you can um, 
work. I mean, I had this I'm sort of little, one decorator who um, I work with a lot who actually did this project, Alex. We had this little agreement that if there was like always one item that I hated, but she loved <laughs> and one item that she hated and I loved, and we would allow it to go onto the set. And then I would say, but being the designer, if I ha still hated the thing you hate loved, I still going to take it off the set. But I mean, you kind of have that thing where you play off each other. And then also with the art directors too. I mean, I also feel that helping with like opinions, like if you're looking at graphics and you're like, okay, well, I, these graphics are great, but there's, they have to choose one. Like we could kind of play or sort of get other people's opinions. So I, I really feel that that's important to have people that I can trust artistically as well as technically. And um, in terms of construction, people who are really, um, really know what they're doing and that's really important and the other department is paint too because i mean it's one of those things that really shows up on camera and to have a paint department who can really push their abilities and one of the things on um, death and other teeth we had huge amounts of wood and marquetry and whatnot and it was how do you make this wood you know sometimes doesn't start that exciting look beautiful and lux luxurious and glamorous and we had to build all these murals and whatnot and have people that we i can trust that are actually going to execute that and and produce this gorgeous product and um i mean i had this lovely billy our, our painter she did an amazing job and i mean that's really important to be very collaborative with people like that i mean it just sounds so overwhelming the quantity of things that you have to sort of keep all the balls that you have to keep in the air at all times you know yeah and i mean that's the other thing that i mean particularly um a show of this scale and um you know it's episodic television so there's a lot of balls rolling in a very short space of time and even though we had a fairly large amount of time to prep prior um to build all the big sets i mean it's still a lot of work and one of the things that i often do is I feel part of my job is to sort of inspire the people doing the work, but I'll do things in waves where I'll sort of set up an idea of what a set is gonna be, like an initial construction idea, so I can get the set designers just drawing something, construction's gonna start budgeting. But in the meantime, I will go to do the same thing for another set, another set, because I often have multiple teams of people working on sets simultaneous. And then I'll come back and loop back to that set and I'll say, start thinking about how, what the colors and the, and things are, and then loop back, bring in our, our, our set decorator. And we'll talk about again, like colors and fabrics and things like that. And then the other thing I often like to do, because I really feel I like to integrate everybody into in the art departments into these sets. I mean, I'll often, if there's murals or graphic elements that are within it, I like to bring in, you know, those people. And in some ways I like that as many hands into a single set, I feel gives it the dimension and diversity because in the real world, everything, there's multiple hands in everything. And I like to be able to do that. And that's how I sort of juggle everything because it's always, there's all these different people at different levels. And I'm always just kind of going back and saying, okay, now, we have to move to this phase and we're going to add this layer. You know, we're going to start to bring in this department, the, the decorators and whatnot. So that's kind of how I sort of manage all these projects at the same time. And the art directors also will help sort of fill that in. As I go in episodics, I'll have to start working on a new episode while we're still finishing the episode prior. So yeah. it is, it is. <laughs> potentially overwhelming. And I mean, you just also have to sort of compartmentalize it to a certain degree and, and delegate to people you trust. And that's key. 
And I guess, you know, it takes a certain personality type to enjoy that sort of, every, you know, anything's possible, everything's possible kind of existence. Yeah. Well, I think that's important to like, just from my point of view is I have to sort of always be everything is possible. And that's more also on my um, discussions with directors and the showrunners, because I mean, I feel everything is possible until it's not possible. And um, I think at some point you have to play, play, figure that out as how to make the everything possible. And then, you know, at, there are moments where it's like you have to come back and say, okay, that window has, has closed. <laughs> maybe it's not that possible anymore. Maybe we will have to do this. Or, or you might be told that you don't have the money to do some of the stuff. So, I mean, that's the other thing. But, but you kind of always have to start with everything is possible. Yeah, love that. Has this ever occurred where you've gone through that process, everything's gone smoothly, everything's in where it should be, in the right place, and it just, I don't know, just doesn't look right? You know, the showrunner's not happy, or has that ever happened? And if so, what is the approach? I mean, that's a lot of work gone into that, right? I mean, it does happen. And I mean, I feel slightly um, fortunate that it's never happened in a massively major way. But I mean, there may be things that um, you have to change last minute. I mean, one of the things I always try and do prior to a set being um, presented to the crew is I always like to photograph it that like as early in advance so that I can send it to the directors and the showrunners. And if there's something that they don't like, we can renovate if it's a piece of furniture or if there's a color that somehow doesn't really jive. I mean, I think if something is hopefully be, by doing a collaborative process, you aren't in a situation where it's a major situation where it's totally off the mark. I mean, I don't think I've had that happen to that extreme, but sometimes people say, oh, I don't like this chair or I just think the flowers should be white and you have purple, you know, stuff like that. And I mean, you just try and do your best to make the changes. And then the other thing that I also think happens too, and this is again, is directors will come in um, with a vision that maybe they just thought of the night before. Mm. And um, <laughs> that does have a lot. And, um, and, you know, I think it's important to try and facilitate that because sometimes in a creative thing, you don't, aren't able to think of everything all the time. And sometimes when you're doing a project like a director or you're doing a set, sometimes the specific details come to you really close to its completion because you're able to focus on that almost for the single moment because normally you're doing hundreds of projects at the same time. And I think it's important if somebody comes in with an idea and it's better, like if they have a better shot or a better way of approaching it, I think it's important to try and facilitate that as a designer because I feel part the other thing about being a designer is I think it's also to create opportunities for the director, for the showrunners to write stories, for the DOPs. And I mean, it, that's the thing. It's, it's always about creating the opportunity as well. Yeah, love that. And of, of course, you have a very artistic background and you've, you know, you can call upon examples of the drop of a hat, but maybe you're talking to a director or someone who doesn't have that. You must have a good way to interpret direction and communication in a way that isn't necessarily your world, right? Is it very visual? Is it descriptive? Uh, I guess it depends who you're speaking to. <laughs> well, it does, does depend on who you're speaking to. And it also depends on what your time frame is, because I do feel the most effective way of communicating the visual is actually by having a visual. Um, 
I know that's not. So if no. there's a way you can do an illustration, um, ideally that shows what you're thinking, or it may, may be a construction drawing, which I know sometimes some people are more struggle with a little bit more, or if there's like some sort of visual references that you can find. I mean, I feel those are the ideal um, ways of communicating. Sometimes it will be a verbal communication and a descriptive communication. If you're kind of short on time and you don't have the time to sort of create a an illustration, um, I think it would be about conversations. And I think at a certain point when you've done it for a number of years, like I have, you kind of get a fairly clear sense of what people are asking for. Mm. So I think that helps as well. You don't have anyone say, oh, just make it more foreboding or something. <laughs> you just have to figure that out. and then. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yes, yes. I mean, stuff like that. Sometimes yeah. your um, directives, if you will, are not as clear. And that <laughs> that is, I think, where if you have the time to do illustrations or do visual references of ideas, um, sometimes pulling images from other films. I mean, I think that often helps a lot because it creates a vocabulary that people understand. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I think words, I mean, words are unpredictable in some senses because I have had situations where a word, I, sh I, I use a word and I don't get something approved and then I don't change anything and I change a word mm -hmm. and I get it approved. I've had situations <laughs> where, I mean, this is a silly example, but I did a show and I kept using the word turquoise and I nothing got approved and I didn't change anything and I changed the word to teal and everything was approved and they loved it. And it was just sort of like some you're like, okay, um, interesting. Yeah. So that's why words can be a bit tricky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, semantics does make a difference. And I know um, sometimes my um, my colleagues like laugh at me a little bit because I do it, but they've all seen the power of it. And I mean, sometimes we discuss years later between my decorator, like how I changed a word, like, you know, one said I want a chandelier and everyone got weird about chandeliers because they had a conception. And then I just changed the word to large light and suddenly it was great. <laughs> so it's stuff like that. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. What is something you wish others knew on set about what you do that may may make your life a little easier or may make your work a little better? I think that I feel sometimes it would be nice if people on set understood how much energy and how much work goes into putting sets together. And it's everything is very heavily considered by myself and you know people that my I work my colleagues. Um, I think sometimes because set is a different pace than our world. I mean, when you go to set, you have the the work of the day ahead of you and you think in those terms, whereas I think um, sometimes they don't realize our world, we have to think of things weeks and if not months in advance. And an object may have taken months just to get to the point where it arrives on set. And that involves like obviously sets, set dressing and props. So I think that would be one thing is a little bit more sort of understanding of what it takes. And then the other thing that I feel is sometimes when I speak on about how much time things take or what I need, I think people don't understand that when I'm saying that it's not my for my personal benefit that I'm saying it, but I have to represent multiple different people who all have to execute these things. And I think sometimes it'd be nice if people understood that I'm speaking on behalf of groups of people, not just myself. 
Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, so as we wrap up here, I'd like to get a bit of advice for those looking to want to get into production design. So what would you say are the more important skills to have? Presumably artistic skill is a given, um, but maybe interpersonal yeah. skills and life skills that would be beneficial to a production designer. I think that um, one of the sort of life skills is the ability to learn. I think that because often production designers come from all sorts of different backgrounds, that we have to learn about filmmaking to a certain degree. I mean, sometimes production designers come from film schools, so that's the primary focus. Others times, people like me who come from architecture or other design, graphic design or interior design. And so learning is really important. I think the other thing is your temperament is you have to be able to change really quickly, but at the same time, be very clear of what the direction is going to be. I mean, conditions will change and you have to be able to let things go so that you can move forward and reformulate quickly something new. So I think that's it's sort of the skill. I think you also have to be respectful of other people's abilities and understand everyone else is there because they're good at what they're doing as well. And you have to take be able to take the information and the advice from them and integrate it into what you feel your vision of the show is. So I think those are things that... Um, and I, I think it's a sort of an artistic vision and also just trying to understand that sometimes it's not just technical stuff. It's like you have to create a vision in your head and be, you have to be able to do that. And so those are things that I would say would be like temperaments and personality traits or whatnot that would be appropriate to um, the job I do. And trying to stay calm whenever possible and um, always have the sort of a... Try and be as gracious as you can under duress. I mean, sometimes... You look back and say, oh, I could have been nicer to that person or whatnot. But I think having a, a general desire to just be gracious as well. Yeah, love that. Do you have any movies that, or film and TV shows maybe that you recommend people watch? I mean, I feel that there's probably a lot of like films out there. I wouldn't necessarily sort of suggest one over another just because I think that there's so many different genres. And I think when you get into a project, often there'll be specific projects that are particular and, to, and particular films and references to that show. So I think that I, I would have to tailor that answer to the specifics of what people are doing. What about for you? Were there any that really inspired you? I mean, I tend to really enjoy sort of historical I know, I, and I've done all sorts of different projects and different genres, but I really like historical dramas. So I think I tend to sort of go towards shows that have a historical feeling, and that's sort of that's sort of where I kind of kind of live in the world. Cool. So to wrap up, what is your advice to those people who would like to get into production design? How they would maybe get their first foot on the first rung of the ladder? Well, I think the first thing, and I think what you just said is getting your foot on the rung of the ladder, because I think it's you have to get in. And I think you have to sort of also really work yourself up. And it's always good to sort of try and do as many different positions within the art department as possible. I also think it's good for people to work as, with as many different designers as possible at the beginning, because everybody has a different take on what they do. And there's things that you can learn from them. And then that also gives you abilities to 
figure out how you want to do the job as well. And I also think it's good if there's a way that you can work and then you can maybe develop a relationship with someone who could become a mentor for you. And I think that's been really important for me as well. But And also, don't be very rigid on how you get in in terms of your experience, like in terms of you may want to like do indies or smaller projects and then have an opportunity working on bigger projects, which are more formalized. I think all those experiences will really help you get in and, you know, build a resume because sometimes the bigger projects you need a bigger resume. So that would be very useful. Wonderful. Well, James, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I loved Death and Other Details. It's coming out January 16th, which is roughly when this show is going to air. And I'm excited for the world to see it, to see your work. I'm excited for the world to see it too. That's great. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Soundstage Insider podcast. Thanks, of course, to James Philpot. Check out Death and Other Details, available now on Hulu, and follow us on social media. This has been an RPS audio production. See you next time.